2: We had this A&R guy who, you know, brought us over there from from um, from Matador, and he basically once we signed the deal with him, I mean, he had been you know on us and so dedicated to signing the band and very you know yeah. all over us, right? You know, um, trying to show us, <laughs> you know. Uh, how serious he was about the band and then once we signed then he you know he didn't come to a single show i couldn't get him on the phone and then he quit and we got dropped the week after he quit
3: and this is our sidetrack episode for the week you're listening to no filler the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name's Quentin, got my brother Travis with me. We kick-started our love fest for Spoon last week with our episode on their 1998 release, A Series of Sneaks, and uh, we're gonna continue with our Spoonathon with uh, a single that they released um, just one year after a series of sneaks came out uh, all about that asshole A&R guy from Elektra uh, that pretty much screwed them over after they got signed with Electra.
1: Yeah, so we touched on this guy briefly last episode. So he is sort of to blame for the... Um, I don't want to say failure of a series of snakes, but like basically he was the reason that it didn't uh, get the like support from the record label that it needed for having only been out for three months, you know?
3: Yeah. And what was his name? Yeah, so I know his last
1: name is Lafitte. Is it, what, what's his last name? His or what's his first, first name? No, his,
3: his first name is Ron.
1: Okay. Ron. Yeah, yeah. Ron Lafitte. So, so yeah. So the story goes that he was the kind of guy that, that, or he was the guy that, got them signed basically or like pushed for them to get on Electra and then yeah. he gets them on and then I'm not exactly sure what, what the story is with the, like his issues with the record label but he was forced out of Electra and you know all the all the while you know he wasn't doing what he should be doing to like push the record and, and he wasn't answering their phone calls and all this weird stuff and then he leaves or gets fired or whatever happened to him and then, no, he
3: gets fired, dude.
1: Okay, so, so he gets fired, and then they get dumped from the record label.
3: Pretty much. And this was less than four months after the album's release. Um, and again, we're talking about their second studio album, A Series of Sneaks, which came out in 1998. Um, there is an interview on AV Music, uh, the AV Club, um, that came out back in 2016. Uh, this is, well, it's an article uh, about the single that we're talking about today, um, which is called "The Agony of Lafitte." Um, and they were interviewing Jim Eno, and the way Eno puts it, uh, he says, "No one would have ever known that a VP of Electra, she's talking about Lafitte, who had been chasing us for a year and a half." who was totally excited about our band, would ever just flake out and get fired from the label. Uh, Actually, this wasn't an interview with the AV Club, I'm sorry. AV Club pulled that quote from an interview that Jim Eno did back in 1999 for the Austin Chronicle. Um, He goes on to say, there was no indication at all that that would ever happen. That's why it's laughable. We never thought anything like that would happen. So... Yeah, Ron Lafitte gets fired. Who knows why? Uh, as uh, you heard in that little clip in the intro, there this this is from an interview that Brett Daniel did with Mark Maron on his WTF podcast. Ron didn't return their phone calls. You know, like he never showed up to a single show. Like he, he just didn't. It's like he had zero interest in Spoon after he quote unquote chased them for a year and a half just fighting to get them on this record label Uh, and then he pretty much just drops off the face of the earth
1: yeah so this is you know people say that this is what um, what caused a series of Seeks not to really kind of uh, get the exposure that it needed early on but the album does later go on to receive like critical you know Pitchfork put it on Uh, it's top 100 favorite records of the 90s list. Um, so, I mean, that's saying something for for the... Because, you know, when you think of 90s records, for the vast majority of, of people out there, Spoon does not cross your mind as a 90s band. You know what I mean? Right. There's the obvious, you know, go-to list of, of 90s records that are obviously on that list as well. But the fact that Pitchfork considers it one of the, you know, well, they call it top 100 favorite records of the 90s. So, you know, do they have a separate list of the best records? And this is just like some of the Pitchfork authors. You know, this is their favorite records. Uh, Who knows? But I'm just saying, you know, that's saying something. And um, some publication called Magnet ranked at number 29 on their top 60 albums of 93 to 2003, which is kind of a weird, I don't know why they split the, the nineties and the two thousands and one list. That's kind of weird, but you anyway, know, I'm just saying like it is, it is a critically acclaimed album. You know what I mean? But I think spoon sees it as that was the moment where like their trajectory, like just stopped because they, they get signed on to a major record label and you know, Hey, we're going places. And then they get dumped three months later. And so they have to like start over again. And then, you know, so to tie in, the, what we're talking about today, they wrote these two songs as just kind of, it's almost like a satire, you know, about what happened to them and like... Yeah,
3: and so uh, I'm going to play another clip pretty much w- right where the, our little intro clip faded out, um, where Britt Daniel kind of talks, he talks specifically about these singles um, and it kind of explains some things. Uh, so here is a, just a little bit more of that interview.
2: His name was Lafitte, Ron Lafitte, and so we had a song called The Agony of Lafitte, and we had a song called Lafitte, Don't Fail Me Now. And this this single that we put out was kind of the first thing that like gave the press or whatever, anybody, a reason to sort of latch on. Like there was a story all of a sudden. Right, you know? right. And, and that was kind was, of the first thing that... And that, that was on a series of sneaks? It, it ended up as being like a bonus track on series of sneaks uh-huh. later, yeah.
3: And so there was like some uh, good good press behind it like it had a
2: little yeah edge for the first time
3: yeah for the first
2: time some people started taking notice and then the next time we put out a record
3: um it's things started happening you know so they kind of used these these songs almost like as a not a publicity stunt but you know like it was something for journalists to write about you know like hey here's what happened with the series of sneaks Here's the here's the dude that's responsible for the for the failure. You know,
1: it makes you wonder if they if they it, you know, like their intention was to get press a, uh, exposure by writing something like this, you know, or if like this was just their way of like processing and dealing with it. Like you know, it's basically a middle finger that that they're given to both electoral uh, and yeah. obviously around the feet. But like, oh, uh, and dude,
3: my favorite my, th- my favorite part about this. This whole thing, is that for this single, both side A and side B, the songs have his last name in the songs. Well, I yeah. fucking love it. Dude. Yeah,
1: and that's that's obviously the the joke, you know. And they're oh, cl- yeah. you know they're funny, they're clever little puns, you know. So yeah, they're it's like they're they're trying to to make fun of the situation and how like like he was saying like that we never in a million years saw this coming, you know. But, you know, the irony being, like, it, it, it's, like, that's what got them the press attention that that Ron Lafitte was supposed to be pushing and getting for them when when a series of snakes came out, you know what I mean? But, you know, they talk yeah. about how, like, I think we referenced this last episode. Like, this is, like, the dark period of, of Brett Daniels' music career. Like, he looks back at this with, like, you know.
3: It's, like, the lost period, yeah.
1: Yeah, but... Uh, he also apparently they refer to it as the locust period, like you know, the plague period where they were plagued with bad luck and stuff. So uh, it like Jim you know, tells a story about how in between this and getting signed to merge and coming out with girls can tell, uh, they were writing, you know all of these songs and trying to record them for like demos or whatever and like they were recording under a reel-to-reel like a tape machine and like the tape like machine like malfunctions or something like that and like the fear was that like oh we just lost all those recordings you know that we just did but like and they were about to like call it quits and shit but like somehow the the you know the tape happened to cut at like the perfect spot to where like it it just faded into the next song so like they saw that as a as a sign, you know like let's let's keep going or whatever, but like they were on the verge of like just you know screw it, fuck it, like you know it's not it's not meant to be like we talked about earlier, Brett Daniel had several other little side gigs that he did, you know but yeah, so let's uh let's let's, let's
3: play the let's play Lafitte don't fail me now uh which is our official sidetrack uh for for this episode um So again, in the intro, we played just a little bit of uh, side A on the record um, called The Agony of Lafitte, and here is a good chunk of side B on that single. It is called Lafitte, Don't Fail Me Now.
4: Well, I would wake up and see, oh, and you know it's the best. You're about. You can't explain the attraction when everything gets so far away. They're using class to abstraction, they do it every day.
3: a good song, dude.
1: Yeah, so you know, here's what I wanted to say about about just the overall like composition and like vibe of the song. Like, mm-hmm. this is the same uh, vibe that you're gonna hear in Girls Can Tell, and uh, yeah. you know, it's it, it sounds like it could be you know a B-side for Girls Can Tell. Uh, it's got that same like tone and like. There's a and, and you can hear a definite change in, like the sound of that song versus what they had done with a series of snakes, and like it makes you wonder if like the if the, the drama of of what happened to them like sort of changed, like because it, it's it, this song has kind of a somber tone, right?
3: Yeah, it's so it's acoustic, right? It's an acoustic track for the most part. Um, it's basically a. Uh, I think I mean neat,
1: there, he, there, there's, there's an electric guitar in like the second verse he starts doing those little uh, riffs that he kind of throws yeah, in the background yeah, right which right, are really right. cool number one but yeah it's, so, I'm, I'm just saying like this sounds like a Girls Can Tell song you know what I mean
3: so yeah so let's, let's backtrack real quick um, so just a reminder so a series of sneaks came out in May of 1998 um, and they were recording that album as far back as 97 so you know, a year earlier. Uh, and then this single, The Agony of Lafitte, was released in November of 1999. So, you know, in between uh, the release of a series of sneaks, or maybe even in the same time frame, the time period, he was writing these songs f- for this single. And then um, Girls Can Tell comes out in February of 2001. So that's not, you know, from November of 99 to February of 2001. So the Agony of Lafitte was released just a couple months before, you know, just a few months before Girls Can Tell came out. Now that's its release date. It's not saying that they, you know, wrote these songs within that time, but, but yeah. Yeah, you can see the progression um, so, again, Girls Can Tell is the album we're going to cover next uh, when we re- revisit Spoon in a couple weeks, which is their third studio album. And, yeah, like like we had mentioned earlier, there's a big difference in sound between a series of sneaks and Girls Can Tell, uh, just the progression of Spoon's overall sound.
1: Um, well, there's a, there's a quote from Jim, you know, from that uh, interview that we played a clip from last time, and I don't have it pulled up. So I'll I'll play it uh, in the episode where we talk about Girls Can Tell, but he 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 mentions like that shift in like their songwriting style between Series of Sneaks and Girls Can Tell, and how Brett Daniel basically I'm paraphrasing here, but basically Britt Daniels you know comes to the conclusion that like I don't have to rely on a distorted guitar to write these songs anymore you know i can throw on a piano if i want you know and which you definitely hear you hear the piano prominently on girls can tell oh yeah and then definitely on on uh kill the moonlight later so like yeah. that shift had happened in the short period between like them getting dumped from electra and, and and writing these two like you know satire pieces about around the feet you know what i mean and like it just makes you wonder if if getting dumped from Electra is what like made him stop and like sort of like just explore these new because it's like they don't have a label anymore you know they're doing these songs just kind of like on the side you know
3: I I would like to know exactly when he wrote these songs you know did he I mean he had to have written these songs after well I don't know man like
1: well, it couldn't have been that much longer these... after
3: well but he could have even written these songs before they officially got but got dumped from the record, you know, nah, dude. Because, well, why would, dude, write, if, why, if, if, why would he write? Why would he write a Lafitte's song? Not answering their phone calls. Yeah, I know, but why would um, he write
1: a song attacking their record label? Uh, you know, I manager, mean, dude, or whatever. Can, while they're you on can the label, write
3: a, you can write a song and have zero intentions of ever releasing it. You know,
1: that's true. I just my uh, my assumption would be that they wrote this after they were dumped and like.
3: Yeah, you're probably right. Because you
1: can you can sense the. Annoyance and, and you know, because there's that line about like planning for your retirement in your 30s or whatever, right? Like he's you know just singing I mean?
3: about, yeah, writing about how this Lafitte guy doesn't give a fuck about, yeah, this else asshole himself. here, yeah, uh, saying things like, Are you honest with anyone? Yeah, uh, you know, it's time to take the trash out. I love it, dude.
1: Yeah, what's funny is <laughs> and, it's, it, it's like essentially... jimino said
3: that quote that I that I you know, I quoted from uh, with jimino speaking with the Austin Chronicle back in 99. He said that you know, this was a laughable situation. Like it was just yeah. something that they never thought would happen.
1: Right. So they, they, you know, they're trying to make light of it, but at the same time, it it almost comes off as like a like a breakup song or something like that. You know what I mean? Like a bitter breakup song where you're 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 you know, just writing these lyrics about this this person that just dumped you. You know? Yeah. Because that's exactly that's exactly what it's exactly what happened to them. You know, they got fucking played, dude. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's a great song. Like you said, dude, like the composition of it is great. Like those, when he brings in that electric guitar to do those little, uh, in the background, uh-huh. like, that's a cool, like, almost like, uh, it's got almost like a 60s uh, British Invasion type uh, pop, I, rock me, pop dude, type vibe.
3: I had like a, a Fleetwood Mac vibe with this song. Maybe that was just me and... Just hearing it right now, I just for some reason thought Fleetwood Mac, but but yeah, sixties seventies rock vibe. Um Yeah, it's just another it's just another solid Spoon song, dude. Like we've said before, Spoon is unsinkable. Spoon can do no wrong.
1: Right, and they proved it here, dude. I mean, think about it. They get dumped by a major label, come out with a song like making fun of the whole situation, and that gets them like attention and and back in the spotlight yeah. and then merge picks him up you know
3: dude so and that's the perfect spot to leave off for when we pick back up again in a couple of weeks
1: yeah and, with, and what's uh, great about our
3: episode on girls can tell
1: yeah and, and like we said like this is the perfect like transition into girls can tell because it sounds a lot like the stuff he was writing for girls Can tell because he was writing it all at the same
3: time obviously yep here's something that i found out while we were recording this just now dude um, and this is going to be our outro for this sidetrack. Have you heard of the band Nada Surf? Yeah, dude. Are you a fan? I never really got into them.
1: I don't know if I ever if I ever delved into them.
3: I, I know I've but heard of their songs. I've definitely heard of them. Or, uh, apparently, they have a cover of the Agony of Lafitte, and Whoa. they also yeah, dude. I haven't listened to it. We're gonna play it and listen to it for the first time together. For this outro, um, apparently, they had some shit with Elektra as well, so they decided to do a cover of the Spoon song.
1: But did they have um, did they have shit underneath Ron Lafitte as their as their manager?
3: Uh, I don't know, dude. So, I, since I was all look, I was looking all this shit up on the fly. While uh, honestly, dude, there is about two minutes of you talking earlier that I wasn't listening at all. And then I just threw in some generic uh, responses, so I hope they worked. Uh, <laughs> I was looking up some uh, some articles to see if I could find anything on it, and uh, there was uh, an article that came out in 2003 uh, on the New York Times talking about Nada Surf recovering from this incident that they had to deal with with Electra, basically trying to get them to steer away from their sound to write more quote-unquote popular-sounding songs. Uh, One little line here from this article that stood out to me while I wasn't paying attention to you earlier. uh, (laughs) One of the guys from Not A Surf recalled conversations with the label Elektra uh, that proceeded along the lines of, Quote, we don't just need a song that could do well. We need miracles. Something ironic with a massive, massive easy to sing chorus that preferably talks about sex or high school or both. Hmm. Fuck that, dude. So clearly, uh, think about I mean, think about that shit, dude. That's like that's the nightmare, right? That every band fears when signing on to a major record label. That the label's gonna try to influence their sound and just have they all they want is for them to churn out hits, and that sounds to me like this is exactly what they were dealing with, with Elektra. So yeah, uh, we're gonna close out this episode with Nada Surf's cover of Spoon's single, "The Agony of Lafitte," and be sure to check us out on SoundCloud uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast app that you use uh, hop onto our website nofailerpodcast.com there you can read show notes and uh, dive a little bit deeper into our episodes and um, next week we'll be covering Jimmy Eat World's uh, 1999 album Clarity And that's going to do it for this sidetrack episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Again, this is Not A surf's cover of Spoon's The Agony of Lafitte. And we will shout at you next week. My name is Quentin.
1: My name is Travis. Bye-bye.